As Jesus is walking and, and going about his ministry, he begins to encourage some people to follow him. And person after person has a reason why they, they can't or they need to do some other things first before they can fully follow him, be fully devoted to following Jesus. And right at the end of, of that chapter, Jesus has this account, and we can read this and we can think, Jesus is harsh. I mean, Jesus is just mean. Just listen to what he says here. Another person said to him, Jesus, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Really, Jesus? I can't even say goodbye to my friends and family? Nope. I mean, maybe you don't think that's harsh, but it's like, can I go just say goodbye to my mom? Nope. Now, is Jesus really saying, no, you can't go say goodbye to somebody? Or is there a deeper truth that he's trying to get at? I believe the issue isn't about saying goodbye. The issue is what are you attached to? What is it that, are you, are you holding on to the past? Are you looking back to what is behind you? Or are you looking forward to what God has for you? See, Jesus then uses the analogy, no one who puts his hand on a plow and then looks back is fit for the kingdom. Here's the issue. If you're plowing, you have to look straight ahead so you can make straight lines, so you can get to where it is that you're supposed to get to. You start looking back, you're going to get off course. You're going to turn to the left. You're going to turn to the right. You're going to be distracted. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you can't allow distractions into your life. You have to be fully committed to going to where I call you to go. See, about following Jesus, it's about moving forward. It's about taking new ground. It's about plowing in new fields. So many of us say, I got saved. I want to go back to the place I was. And Jesus says, you can't go back to where you were. You have to go forward. And even if I eventually bring you back to where you were, it's because you've gone through some new things and you're not going back the same way that you were. But we don't allow God to change us, to mature us, to make us into something different. We just want to go back to where we were and say things are going to change and not going to change. Jesus, you can't serve me that way. You have to move forward in me, take new ground, plow new fields. You can't be attached to the world that was before behind you. You have to look forward to the kingdom that's ahead of you. You have to advance my kingdom by moving forward. So what's the key to keeping from turning back? To keep from turning back, you must hold on. You must move forward and you must pursue God's presence. You, what is it that's, that, that's going to drive you forward? It's what God's calling me to, his plans, his purpose, his presence in my life. I, Pastor Aaron did a, a message on this uh, on last year. It was a great message, but I just want to read this one verse, uh, Psalm 27, 4. It says, the one thing I want from God, the thing I seek most of all is the privilege of living in his presence every day of my life. Am I going to look back to where I was? Am I going to look back to worldly attachments? Am I going to look back to things that draw my heart away from the presence of uh, the privilege of living in the presence of God? And it's so easy for us to lose the focus, to lose the emphasis, to lose the importance of what it means to pursue the presence of God. And I believe the reason it's easy to forget that, it's easy to lose that, is because we mistake the abiding presence of God with pursuing the presence of God. 
See, throughout the New Testament, the, the writers of the New Testament make it very clear. We, as believers in Christ, you come to faith to, in, in God through Jesus Christ, and you become the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Over and over, it tells us that the, the, the presence of God no longer dwells in a temple built by hands, but in us. Right? We are the, pres the, the presence of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells inside of us. That is a theological, eternal truth. Everything I'm going to say about pursuing the presence of God from here on out, please hold on to that. This is not about earning God's presence in your life. His presence is there. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You live in God's presence. But there is a difference between living in God's presence, between his, his spirit dwelling in you and pursuing his presence. It would kind of be like, um, let's say you uh, have a 4K TV, right? You have the TV, you have God's presence in your life. But just because you have a 4K HD TV does not mean everything that you are watching, everything you're streaming, every, all the content that you're uh, internalizing through your TV is coming through in 4K. You have to be intentional to find the streaming services, the broadcasters, to make sure that the content you're watching is actually in 4K. But a lot of us say, I went out on Christmas, I got a 4K HD TV, it's great, look how good it looks. And you assume what you're watching is 4K, but someone like, I don't know, our tech director David Candler would come over to your house and go, you know, he's watching standard def, just let him think it's 4K. Right? That's what we do at the human level. At the spiritual level, we say, God's presence dwells in me, I am living in God's presence. And we wrongly assume that because we have that, it means we are actively and, uh, and intentionally pursuing God's presence in our lives. And we may not be. And we miss out on what it is that God has for us. That's why David says, the one th I want the privilege of living every day of my life in God's presence. Or think about an, an, an exchange that Moses has with God. Moses has been used by God to lead the people of Israel out of bondage and captivity to the Egyptians after 400 years. And here they are. And God says, no, I had promised this piece of land to your forefathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And now, after all these years, I'm going to bring you back to the promised land. And they're there on the edge of the promised land. And God says, listen, you people are driving me crazy. You won't listen. You keep wanting to go back. And I want you to go forward. So... I'm just going to send an angel, and the angel will wipe out all the inhabitants, all, the, all those that will stand in your way, and you can have the land. But Moses says, no, no, I, I don't want the land. I want you. He, he echoes uh, what David wrote some uh, hundreds of years later. I want to live in your presence. So this is what Moses says. Moses said, but if your presence does not go with us. Do not send us up from here. We don't want to just live in your promises. We want to live in your presence. We want to pursue your presence. If your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. For your presence is what sets your people apart from every other people on the earth. What is meant to mark us as different is the presence of God in our lives. But that's not just his abiding presence. It's about pursuing his presence. So what does that mean? How does that look? How does that function? How does that help us to move forward? So 
So I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson here, and then we're going to talk about how to keep from turning back, from, from shrinking back, from um, just kind of becoming passive in our pursuit of God's presence. So in the Old Testament, the presence of God, when the people of Israel became a people, and Moses led them out of, of bondage to Egypt, from that moment on, God's presence was represented in a physical way, normally a physical place. So it was a pillar of fire by day, uh, a, a fire by night and a cloud by day, and then uh, God instructs the people of Israel to build the ark and the tabernacle, and they represented the place of God's presence. And then they became a nation, and King Solomon builds a temple. And so it went from the ark and the tabernacle to the temple, but the temple represented God's presence. And so it was very clear to the people, and they understood if there was no temple, there was no presence. No temple, no presence. If there was no physical representation of where God was, then God wasn't there. And after hundreds of years, the people were in rebellion against God, and so God sends the Babylonians and then the Persians, and the people of Israel are sent into exile. First, the, the kingdom of, uh, of Israel to the north, and then the kingdom of Judah to the south. And after about 50 years, King Sirius of Persia allows the people of Israel to leave Persia, to, to go back to the promised land. And as they make their way back, he tells them, you can rebuild your temple. And they were so excited. They understood what this meant. They understood that now, not only can we go back and step into the promise that God had for us, but we can step into his presence. And then they start working. They start working hard. And for nine, almost 12 months, they are working hard to get this temple built. But then all of a sudden, they just kind of throw down their tools, give up, and quit. Like, this is more work than we wanted to do. We've got other things that we need to focus on. We've got wives and husbands and children and cattle and farms and businesses and money to make. We have walls to build. We have all kinds of things that we need to do, and they get distracted by everything else. And for 17 years, nothing is done to build the temple. No one is actively pursuing God's presence. Everyone is, to, is content to live in God's promises, absent of his presence. And so God sends the prophet Haggai. And this is what it says in chapter 1, verse 2 and 4. The Lord declares, these people have said, these people are saying by their actions for these last 17 years, this is basically the attitude of their heart. The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. But then God's asking them, is it a time for you to be living in your paneled houses while my house is in ruins? God is saying, listen to me. I don't want you to simply be my people. I don't want you to simply walk in my promises. I want you to experience my presence. I don't want you to simply have a 4K HD TV and be content watching standard death. I want you to experience me to the highest capacity possible. And so God challenges them. Will you take a step? Will you move in a direction? And so what we see in this story is two things that will often be the reason why we stop pursuing God's presence. The things that creep, see the people of Israel all of a sudden got busy. They got busy 
with other things that were higher priorities. And doesn't that happen in our lives? I don't know about you, but I've had times in my life where I have said, God, I want to be all in for you. I want to be sold out. I want to abandon this world. I want to risk it all. I want to, I want to just step out in faith. I don't care. I don't want to have worldly attachments. I'll risk everything for you. And then God says, what about this? And I say, it's not a good time. God says, why don't you start a fast? Well, I've got this, and, and I've got that, and, 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 and this is coming, and then there's a birthday, and then there's a holiday, and then, you know, there's the Super Bowl. And, and we have a million reasons why things creep in to keep us from pursuing God's presence. And, and, and I, and I got to get this girlfriend. I got to get this boyfriend. I got to finish my degree. I've got to work on this. I've got to build a career. I've got to earn money. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But when we say, God, I want to be all in for you. I don't want to look back. I want to pursue your presence actively in my life. And he says, now do this. And we say, but I can't. We're no different than the people of Israel who stand in God's promises but don't care about his presence. And like I said, his presence is with you. Please hear me. I'm not saying God's presence is gone. I'm saying you're not actively pursuing his presence in your life. And what are two things that we're going to learn from the people that uh, Haggai's talking to about what causes us to sometimes stop pursuing his presence? Because my prayer for you, my prayer for us, is that you would never be a person who stops pursuing God's presence, that we would never be a church that stops pursuing God's presence, that we wouldn't turn back, we wouldn't give up, we'd never throw in the towel. So why is it that we so often and easily do? The first is this, you're living comfortably instead of living sacrificially. Not one amen. All right. And that's good preaching. You're li- right? What did God say to the people? He said, you're living in your paneled houses. Well, my house remains in ruins. It's destroyed. A paneled house, if you look at the biblical scholars and what they write, it represented comfort. It represented excess. It represented that which was beyond simply what was needed. And so many of us live a life of comfort and ease, and we refuse to sacrifice, to press in, to pursue God's presence. Because it is a sacrifice. I don't want to get up early and read the Bible. I don't want to stay up late and seek the face of God. I don't want to give this up for this time of fasting. I don't want to go and and, and talk about the goodness of God because it might ruin my reputation. I don't want to uh, honor God with how I, I spend my money because it's going to cost me. Everything that we do in order to pursue God's presence is going to cost you. If it doesn't cost you, then you're not actively pursuing God's presence, right? Think about King David. He wanted to, he wanted to build in, uh, the temple. God said, you can't build a temple because of the, the blood on your hands, but I'll allow you to make all the preparations so your son Solomon can build the temple after me. So, God, so David says, I want to buy this plot of land. And he goes to the owner. He says, I want to buy this land and we want to set it aside and then Solomon will build the temple here. And the guy says, just take it. Just take it. And David says, God forbid. God forbid that I would offer to my God something that didn't cost me anything. I will pay you full price. 
I will not sacrifice to God what costs me nothing. I cannot pursue God's presence in my life if it's not costing me. And yet so many of us simply say, I'm content to live in God's promise. He says, I'm calling you to something higher, deeper. So this is what it goes on to say. So then it's, uh, God says to the people, go up to the mountains, bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. It's going to take work. It's going to take effort. You're going to have to get it. You still have your house to take care of, your family to take care of, your business to tend to, your animals to, to take care of, your children to watch. But I want you to go outside of that. I'm not telling you to stop doing any of that stuff. In addition to all that, go up to the mountains and bring down the wood. Do some work. Put some effort into pursuing my presence. And when you put that effort in, God says it pleases him. When we live a life of sacrifice, it honors God. And he responds to it. He looks and says, I see what you're doing. And I want to bless that. So the first question I have for you is this. Are you busy pursuing life's comforts or God's presence? Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> no, I'm telling you that I am so excited about this year and this series specifically because it is, I believe if you will take these things and begin to apply them to your life, it will change the trajectory of your life, of this year, of what God wants to do in and through you. But it takes a serious commitment. And at some point, we have to say, am I willing to do that? Am I willing to sacrifice for God's presence in my life? So the second thing that often causes us to, to turn away, to stop pursuing God's presence in our lives is this. You're viewing crisis incorrectly. You're viewing crisis incorrectly. See, what happens most of the time in our lives when crisis comes is that we blame others. We point a finger. Uh, if, if my parents only, if my business partner had made that deal, if the coach just played me, if my teacher understood me, if the pastor only preached better. I'm sorry about that. Yes, there was an amen. I heard that. Uh, it, it, if people just had a better attitude, if, if they were kind, if my kids just cooperated, on and on and on we go. We have every, if, if, my, if my boss just gave me the pay raise. Right? We, have, we blame everyone else when crisis happens, and then what's the next result? We quit. We quit. We get a new job. We look for a new church. We, we drop out of school. We, we quit the team. We buy out of the business. We look for a new wife. And we don't ever take the time to say, is the answer in here instead of out there? Is the solution to the crisis something God wants to do inside of me as opposed to the externals? So the people of Israel started excitedly. They're going to build the temple and then they quit after 9, 10, 12 months because crisis happened, because things began to get hard and difficult. And so they quit. So this is what it says in verse 5. So now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Think about what's been happening these last 15, 20 years. Consider this. Don't just dismiss it. Think about this now. He said, you planted, but you didn't harvest much. You eat, but you never full. You drink, but you never have your fill. 
You put on clothes, but they're not warm. You earn wages, but everything you put into a purse has holes in it. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. You're having crisis in your life. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough food. Everything's wearing out. Nothing's going the way you thought. You thought you would walk in ease. You're not walking in ease because you're not walking in ease. You want to quit on me. But God's saying you're looking at crisis the wrong way. Crisis is meant to make you press in, not pull away. Why is this happening, God says? Because my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own houses. There's this crisis in your life, and the crisis is a result of you not pursuing my presence. If you would pursue my presence, the crisis might not end, but you would view the crisis different because it would push you forward into me. It would cause you to press into me. See, we want to look at crisis and say, this is bad, God isn't here, and I'm done with God. But what the Lord's saying is, if you will press in in those hard times, in those trying times, in those difficult times, see, what we're going to find out, not only today, but throughout this series, is if you want to experience God's presence in your life, if you're going to pursue God's presence in your life, it requires crisis. Those defining crises in your life, where you feel like, I don't know if I can get through this, but those defining crises change you. And it's only in those crisis moments that you can fully experience and truly understand and completely appreciate God's presence in your life. So Peter says this in the book of Acts. He says, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. And then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. It's only in looking at the difficulty of your life, your sin, your, your mistakes, your failures, the, the, the hardships that you're going through, the trials that you're enduring, when you stop and look at that and say, a lot of this is self-inflicted. God, forgive me for what I've done. Then, in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the crisis, times of refreshment will come because of my presence. But it requires pressing in to God, not pulling away from God. See, only in trying times do you realize you need refreshing times. If you view crisis as a reason that God's not in your life and you don't need him, then you miss the point. God says, I allowed this crisis into your life so that you'll press into me and you'll experience my presence. And in my presence, you will find a refreshing, a blessing, something that will help you get through this time in your life. So is crisis causing you to pull away or press in? Now, the people of Israel, it's very interesting. They go through all this, and, and at first, they're not, they're not willing to respond, are they? They're like, we're busy, we've got other things. But it's interesting. None of them said God's presence isn't important. None of them said rebuilding the temple is a bad thing. None of them said we wouldn't like to get those things done. They simply were unwilling to sacrifice to make it happen. They were too busy living in their comfort. They were too busy living in their excess. They were too busy saying, we have to overcome this crisis on our own instead of pressing into God's presence. But when God raises up Haggai and the people hear his word, they listen. 
and they respond and they get to work. And it's incredible because what happens is in less than four years, they finish the temple. And when it's done, Haggai returns and God has another word for them. And it's in chapter two. It says, who of you is left who saw this house, who saw the temple, who remembers the glory of Solomon's temple? And it was magnificent. Who remembers it? How does it look now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But be strong, all you people of the land, for I am with you. My spirit is among you, and the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace. See, they finally got the temple built, and those who could remember said, this pales in comparison to what Solomon built. And God says, that's not the point. The point isn't the outward glory. The point is pursuing my presence. I'm with you. My presence is there. I'm going to bring you peace. See, what so many of us do is we pursue God's presence, and then we step back and we compare. Well, they have a better prayer life. They read the Bible more. They're more uh, committed. We compare their pursuit of God's presence with ours. We compare their experience with God with ours. We compare how they um, live with how we live. And God says, stop doing all that. I'm with you. I'm a personal God. And if you'll pursue me, I'll bring you peace. If you'll pursue me, I will honor you. I take pleasure in that. Stop comparing your pursuit of me with anybody else's. I'm going to call you to things that I don't call anyone else to. That's not fair. Get over it. That's what God will tell you in not so many words, right? That's what he told the people of Israel. It just doesn't look like Solomon's temple. Get over it. Because this temple is going to be better. Not better compared to what it was, but better than what it was for you. Because the glory now is for you. I am with you. My presence is with you. It's about my presence. It's not about the outward edifice. And if you think your pursuit of God is all about the outward adornment, then you miss the whole point. It's not how good you look. It's how close you are to God's heart. So we have to begin to pursue God's presence. Now, it's a very sad state in our world today that so many people look at life as transactional. They look at life as, as uh, contractual. If you do this, I'll do this. If you give me this, I'll give you that. But if you don't do this, then I won't do that. If you don't give me this, then I won't give you that. What's sadder still is that a lot of people apply that to their relationships. If you do this, I'll continue to love you. If you stop doing this, I will stop loving you. If you do this, I will continue to be your friend. But if you say that, I will no longer be your friend. I'm not talking about there shouldn't be boundaries, and I'm not talking about we don't have to sometimes, uh, you know, bring some things into life and relationships. I understand all that. I'm talking about just our general approach to life and relationships. What's sadder even still is that so many Christians apply that same mindset to the relationship with God. God, if you do this, I'll serve you. If you do this, I'll live for you. God, if you do this, I'll praise you. But if you don't do this, if you stop doing that, if you don't answer this prayer, I'm out. Now, 
You may not like this, but I'm telling you, when a relationship becomes transactional, we have a word for that. You know what that word is? Prostitution. When a relationship with God becomes transactional, you are prostituting yourself. God, I'll be in relationship with you as long as I get something out of it. I want your stuff. I want your payment. I want your blessing. But I don't really want you. A prostitute doesn't care about the person they're with. They want the stuff the person has. And if the person doesn't have the stuff, they don't care about the person. And when we look at God and say, God, I want your stuff. I want your blessing. Please hear me. I believe in the promises of God. I believe in the blessings of God. I believe God wants to move in our hearts and our lives. We're going to do a whole series after this one called The Same God, The Same God Who Heals, The Same God Who Restores, The Same God Who Moves in Miraculous Ways. I believe in all those things. But at some point, you have to ask yourself, are you pursuing God for his presence or for his stuff? Because if you're pursuing God for his stuff, as soon as his stuff stops flowing, you're out. So ask yourself, if God never did anything else for me, if God never answered another prayer, if God never poured out another blessing, would I still love him? Would I still serve him? Would I still sacrifice for him? Would I still get up early in the morning and seek his face? Would I still stay up late at night to meditate on his character? Would I still tell people about his goodness? Would I still follow his ways? Or is it only about what I get out of the deal? Listen to me. I understand on the front end, we get everything, right? He saves us from hell. He heals us. He restores us. The problem is so many of us stay in that mindset. I got this, and as long as God continues to give me this, I'll keep serving God. But at some point, you have to say, I'm going to pursue his presence regardless of what I get out of it. I'm more interested in his presence than his payments. That's a hard question to ask. But if you're serious about pursuing his presence, then at some point, you have to either be honest with yourself. I'm like the people that Haggai was talking to. God, I'm content to live in your promises. I'm content to live in the promised land. I'm content to walk in your blessings. I don't care about your presence. Or you can echo the words of Moses. God, I don't want to step foot into the promised land. God, don't send us there. Don't deliver us into, those, into that place by your angel if your presence isn't there. I don't want it. I'd rather have you. Echo the words of David. The one thing that I want more than anything is the privilege of living in your presence every day. I don't care if the blessings flow, but they will. I don't care if the healing flows, but it will. But it's not about that. It's not about God's stuff. It's about his presence. So here's my challenge for you on this first Sunday of 2024. Here it is. Be a person who passionately pursues God's presence. Pray. Read his word. Fast. Seek his face. Meditate on his character. Tell people about his goodness. Fill your heart with praise and worship. Take time to tell people about his goodness. Honor him with your stuff, with your, with your finances. Do everything in your life to say, I'm going to pursue God's presence. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what people think. I want to pursue God. I don't want to live in my own comfort. I want to sacrifice for God. And when the hard times come, and they will come, 
when the trials come and they will come, when the crisis hits and it will hit, allow it to propel you forward. Allow it to help you press in to pursue more of God's presence, not to pull away. May we be a people that never, ever stop pursuing his presence. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. And God, I know this, this is the type of message that can, it can get into some deep places. It can cause us to ask some deep questions, and it should. Because your word is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And God, it pierces the intentions of our heart. And God, at the deepest level of who we are, would we ask that question, why am I serving you? Why am I living for you? Why am I in a relationship with you? Is it to pursue your presence or to pursue your stuff? God, that, that question reveals so much. Allow your word right now to do its work, that we be honest with ourselves. And if we can't be honest with ourselves, God, then would we hear your voice speaking truth into our hearts this morning? I'm just going to ask if you'd stand where you are. I want to I pray for you, and then we're just going to spend some time worshiping God. You might say, you know, I haven't always been real serious about God's presence. As I said, God's presence doesn't dwell in a place anymore. But when we gather together as a church, the Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. His presence is here in a different way when we gather as a church. His presence isn't any more real up here as it is in your seat. But you stepping out of your seat can sometimes represent something internally that's being shown externally. God, I'm serious about this. I'm not content to just sit back and be comfortable. I want to step into your presence. So as we sing these songs, I want to challenge you. If you'd say, I want to get serious in 2024 about pursuing God's presence, then as we sing this song, just step forward. Just step forward and get in God's presence. Some of you have never done this. Just raise your hands. Say, God, I surrender to you. Some of you have never got on your knees. Say, God, I'm living for you. I'm giving it all for you. Whatever act of surrender you need to do to say, God, I'm serious today, moving forward about pursuing your presence. Take that step and see what God wants to do. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts right now. Whatever it is that you're telling us that we know we need to do, that we wouldn't delay. God, we don't even have to wait until the worship music is done, until the worship music starts and the prayer is done. God, if, we, if we're serious, that we would just step forward right now. So God, we want your presence in our lives. We want your presence in our marriage. We want your presence in our families. We want your presence in our business. We want your presence in our finances. God, I'm tired of waiting I'm tired of letting everything else take a priority. I'm tired of everything else being more important. I'm tired of everything else I'll sacrifice for, but I won't sacrifice for you. God, I'm tired of allowing crisis to be a justification of pulling away from you. God, allow the crisis that I'm in right now to propel me forward, that I would press in to your presence, that I wouldn't seek your stuff, but I would seek you. 
I would seek your face. The Bible tells us to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're called the bride of Christ. That's about knowing God. It's about intimacy. And that only happens when we press in to his presence. Let's do that now together.